The first reading this morning comes from the book Exodus, chapter chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Please follow along in your Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. We will be reading from the New International Version. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The second reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God has brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Mark. I am one of the pastors here on uh, the team, and I'm so honored to be here with you this morning. Um, We are going to be talking about this idea of Sabbath. Um, We're continuing on in this series that we've been going through this summer um, called Rhythms, Spiritual Practices for Rest and Renewal. And so, um, as a church community, um, this is a timely uh, season to be talking about rest because uh, that kids' camp week last week was no joke. Okay, so... um, we spent a week covered in sweat and snot and gogurt. Um, I literally took a gogurt shower, like right, helping a kid. Pff, okay, didn't have to go home and take a shower because I already taken a no. I had to shower twice because I had gogurt all over myself. But um, the opportunity to be with those kids and um, to see Jesus in a relation eyes of someone in third grade. Um, is so refreshing, right? Um, granted, I probably heard the word toilet more times than I heard the word Jesus in our small group. It's fine, right? It's, it's part of the deal, but um, it was so good. I, I do want to mention one thing. Um, so many good things to celebrate from this last week, um, but we had a number of different students that stepped in um, to some really big leadership roles this past week. Uh, we had Coach Jonah, Coach Samantha, Um, We also had Coach Johnny and Coach Luke, Anita, Evan and Matthew, um, and so many others that had stepped into leadership roles and um, coaching students, running sound, helping with the art. Um, It was so, so important. So it was, for me, an awesome expression of the kingdom of God, seeing students step in and uh, begin to really cultivate that multi-generational platform of learning and following Jesus together. So it was was pretty awesome. But... um, also, like youth ministry is hard, but kids ministry is, uh, it's a different deal. So if you see Pastor Nancy, like give her an extra high five this week because like I consider standing in front of you rest this morning because, oh my goodness. Okay, so you're going to teach first graders, seven of them for 10 minutes, right? Like that feels like a lifetime of standing in front. Okay, no joke. So this week I had uh, the group, the basketball group, like 
these kids had so much energy. It was awesome, right? But this is how desperate I got. Um, I reverted to the game called Stinky Shoe to, to try to, to rein things in. How the game Stinky Shoe works is if you have, I took my shoe off, and if you're holding the stinky shoe, you get to speak. If you're not holding the stinky shoe, you don't get to speak, right? It's a new curriculum that we are going to develop here. So that's, that's, there we go. Just start passing it around. So this morning, if you have a stinky no. We'd all be talking because it's summer. Um, so it, uh, it was so, so great to, to be together and to, uh, to see this is my first um, season being able to be part of, of kids camp, sports camp here. Um, and it's truly an incredible way that God is continuing to move in and through our church community. And so um, we are not going to be talking about Gogurt um, or anything else of the matter, but we're going to be talking about this idea of rest and Sabbath this morning. This ancient uh, Jewish practice that has roots in the Old Testament um, as old as creation, but is such an integral part of our Judeo-Christian understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and how Jesus calls us to rhythms of rest. So if you would join me in prayer this morning, we'll look into our text. God, thank you um, for this past week that we had to, to see um, your work in the lives of kids at sports camp. And God, as we turn to the scripture this morning, I ask that you would quiet our hearts. God, that you would give us space this season to be able to hear your voice. So Spirit, I ask that you would be present and that you would speak to us this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, um, so do you remember your first grade teacher? Um, I, granted, I have a pretty rough memory, but Miss um, Lovell is someone that I will never forget. She's my first grade teacher. Does anybody else remember their first grade teacher? Yeah? Okay. Pretty much everybody's hand, right? Like, that's just something that you don't forget. And so, um, I'll, uh, I'll never forget this, this day. It was April 20th, uh, 1999. I was in Miss Lovell's first grade classroom. And uh, so the school that I went to was in Lakewood, Colorado. And so the way that, that my school would work is if, uh, if the, church, or the school secretary came down to your classroom, right, and you got one of these green slips, then you had the opportunity to leave school early, right? Like the best thing. So when you saw uh, the school secretary come down and she would hand Miss Lovell uh, that green slip, it's like, oh man, who's going home? Like who's going to the dentist, right? Who's cousin down? Who gets to leave first, right? And so that day, April 20th, um, that green slip was for me, right? And so I was so excited, right? Like, okay, it's time to go. And I went down to the office and met my mom there. And right away I knew um, this was not a good green slip to receive. Not a good green slip to receive. And so um, walking out to the car that day, um, she, my mom told me um, that my babysitter as a kid, her name was Casey, um, Casey had been really, really wounded that day. And uh, it took me until later on that evening when we were home and um, the TV was on to find out that um, not only Casey, but um, over two dozen other people had either been um, shot and killed or, or terribly wounded um, at Columbine High School that day. And, and thankfully, Casey um, was rushed to the ER and her life was saved, but she had uh, multiple uh, wounds in her shoulder that um, were 
obviously catastrophic. And so I bring up that story this morning, um, something that I, I plan to share on Monday, right? And then if you've been present with us this last week, um, this week has been a, a really hard week in this same uh, conversation where four other um, types of shootings have gone on. And, and so I, I bring this up for two reasons. One, um, it was a vivid memory that I had as a kid where life just stopped, right? The, 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 the town of Lakewood, of Littleton, um, shut down. The school district shut down. Really, the entire city of Denver just paused life because we were all in shock. We were just in awe of what just happened and all the pieces that were going to have to be picked up because of that. And that's something that I, I think um, that we relive all too often now in our culture. But I mention it um, for a second reason, and, and that is this. Um, is that there's this, this research that has uh, that's come out that's formulated a theory um, that many people, especially young people, um, find themselves hoping for tragedy or natural disaster to occur simply to escape the normal pace of our society. Let me, let me say, say that again. So many people, right, experience such discomfort or so much anxiety as a result of the pace of our lives that they wish for something catastrophic to occur just so that there can be a tempor- temporary relief of the pace of life that we live. And obviously there's so many different um, narratives that's, that's weave and interwoven into that. But to me, that is deeply troubling. It is deeply troubling that not only our young people are experiencing those things, but I think if, if we're honest, um, maybe many of us are. And, and so this would be a time to, to share, right, like all these statistics of, of anxiety or depression. Um, and I, I don't think I need to go into that, except for I wanted to share this, uh, this one this was from, um, actually from the Sammamish PD shared this. It said, um, within King County alone, students on the plateau here, our home, our community, our context, are two times more likely to experience anxiety than the average student in King County. Right? So students across our country are experiencing anxiety and depression um, at, at staggering levels. Right? But um, hear it again that, that students on the plateau experience uh, twice as more anxiety or, or two times more likely to be anxious than the average student, just in King County alone, in King County alone. Um, and so while these stats are specifically about students, um, I believe that many of us, if we examined our lives and our pace of living, our worries that we would discover that we are living at a pace that is quite unhealthy and that is truly quite unsustainable. And so, um, if you were to be honest this morning, um, where, where you are in this place in the season of summer, um, your work rhythms, your rest rhythms, whatever it is, um, could anybody else relate to me that, that you're feeling kind of tired today? Is anybody else kind of feeling tired? So, you either raise your hand or you're too tired to raise your hand. And so, uh, I think that we have this, this shared experience um, that we're tired people that we're really tired people and that if we're really honest, we're looking for another rhythm of life. And thankfully, that, that, um, the story doesn't end there, right? Life doesn't end there. That, uh, that Jesus continues to offer 
this alternative life rhythm. And so this morning, if you don't hear anything else, um, hear this. Hear that God loves you and that God wants the absolute best for you and your life and that God cares so deeply for you. And so much so that God continues to offer you your best life in the context of a healthy rhythm. And so Jesus shows us this different way, a better way, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, I have a, I, I love, I miss school. I love reading. I love studying. Um, and so I have this new, I just call it like a, a scholar crush, okay? Like, oh man, I really like this person's writing. And so this guy's named A.J. Swoboda. A lot of what I've uh, encountered through, um, through talking about Sabbath and learning about Sabbath is from him. And so he says this. Um, he says, um, Jesus lived out the rhythms of heaven. Jesus lived out the rhythms of heaven. And, and this morning I'm here to, to, to show us and to tell us that Sabbath, this practice of Sabbath, gives us a glimpse into this rhythm of heaven. And so um, here's our plan for the next couple minutes. Uh, we're going to look at Sabbath as this practice of rest, and then we're going to look at this, this practice of Sabbath um, as resistance, and how that's a core piece of what it means to have this rhythm of rest, this rhythm of Sabbath. Uh, and then ultimately, as we've been doing all summer, um, we'll look at this idea of Sabbath as a rhythm that we collectively can participate in as a community, um, but the, that each of us individually has that opportunity to encounter the practice of Sabbath. And so, um, if you do have scripture with you this morning on your phone or uh, uh, in the text, turn with me to Exodus 20. That's where we'll start, and then uh, we'll be moving on to the Deuteronomy text in, in just a minute. But um, this text that we read this morning, right? So we had the, the Exodus text and the Deuteronomy text, right? Both of them embedded in the Ten Commandments, right? So the Ten Commandments show up twice um, in the Old Testament, right? Early on in um, the first five books. And so, um, the, uh, the, really, the, the Ten Commandments sometimes it feels like overwhelming to remember. Here, here's a really simple way um, to remember the Ten Commandments, right? And so, the first four are just ways that God shows us how to love Him, right? How to be in relationship with God, how to love God, right? So you see those four, those are specifically God in relationship with us, right? And so these next six, right, the, the, um, the last six from five on are the ways that God has showed us ways to love our neighbor, right? See how that works, right? Like, simple. The first four are the ways that God shows how to love us and be in relationship with us. And the, the next six, the last six, are those that show us how to be in relationship with our neighbor, with one another. And so um, the one that we're specifically looking at this morning is, uh, is this fourth commandment, right? This fourth commandment of uh, what it means to encounter Sabbath. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so you see this in, uh, in Exodus 20, verses 9 and 10, right? It says, in six days you're supposed to work, you're supposed to toil, right? You're, you're putting your, uh, your efforts into this work, but on the seventh day 
you are to rest, right? And so we kind of see this rhythm that God created of six days to work, seven, uh, on the seventh day you rest, right? And so there was this, uh, this time in France, right, where um, they tried to extend the work week from seven days to ten days. Does anybody know about this in, in Europe? They, they tried this once. Um, and it was like catastrophic, right? Like there was so much burnout. There was so many people just experiencing um, these times where they just couldn't uh, be able to, to have that longevity to work a 10-day work week, right? And so uh, to me, that, that it shows that there's this rhythm of life where God has said, work six days and rest one. That it, it's part of this rhythm. And, and so we see, we see in the, the narrative of creation, right, that that's no different, right? That God models that very first. Um, and so if, if you think about it, right, if, if, uh, if humanity was created on the sixth day, and Sabbath was the seventh. What did Adam and Eve spend their day doing the first day that they were here? They were chilling, right? They were just chilling. They didn't have to go through those six days. To me, that, that is such an, an important uh, point, an important gift that God has showed us that we were not only created to work, but first we were created as human beings to experience the gift of rest. Does anybody else feel like that's, that's good news this morning? <laughs> I do. Um, and so the, the summer after I graduated um, from college, I got this opportunity to, um, to work at a camp in eastern Colorado uh, that my grandfather had started like way back when, and he was the director of it for a long time. And so um, eastern Colorado is much like eastern Washington, and western Colorado was much like western part of Washington, right? Where the western part, Seattle of Washington, uh, is beautiful, it's green, it's so lush, it's so nice. And then you have the eastern part of Washington that's not that, right? (laughs) And then the western part of Colorado is so nice, right? The Rocky Mountains, oh man, the Blue Lakes, it's beautiful. And then the eastern part of Colorado is wheat and cornfields and alfalfa all lined up and it is not colorful. I'll just say that, right? And, and so, um, so I got to be at this camp, right? And I got to, to serve there all summer. And um, there was this, this kind of this rhythm of life that towards the end of the summer, right, when, uh, when harvest time was coming, right, it was kind of turning to fall, right, that there was just this rhythm of life where the people knew in that community, in that culture, that it was time to really focus on the soil, the ground, right? They knew the soil so well. And the, the thing about this soil, that what I learned from these people and just being in community with them is that, um, that they, they knew that you couldn't just overwork the soil, right? You couldn't just go week in and week out, year in and year out, decade and decade out without giving the soil rest, right? And so if you know anything about agriculture, right, if maybe you grew up in eastern Washington and you knew these things, right, that, that there was a time when you would leave a field uh, to rest, literally to rest, right, so that the nutrients could regain uh, what it needs in order to yield good crop the following year, right? And so, um, and so there's this embedded reality that we have as human beings to desire rest, And it's this narrative that comes from Scripture, comes from this gift that God gives us as human beings to be living this rhythm of work and of rest. And so God created us 
with this intended rhythm of both work and rest. And so, um, just this last week, I got to go see, uh, does anybody remember this guy, um, Nick Pringle? Um, so, yeah, I guess he's a big deal, right? So, um, so I got to go see Nick this last week. I really haven't got to get to know that guy. We had lunch on Thursday. It was so awesome. Drove up there um, because he made us t-shirts for Camel Farm. We're leaving tomorrow. Um, he made us these t-shirts, right? And so this guy, like, he's awesome, right? You know that. If you don't know Nick, he's, like, taller than me and cooler than me, whatever. Um, but, but I was sitting there with him, and he's, like, sharing about all these different things that he does, right? He, like, loves woodworking. He, like, makes knives with wood. Like, every time I go into, like, a different part of this church, it's like, oh, yeah, Nick made that coffee cart. Oh, Nick made this. I don't know. He probably did make this. Okay, he literally made this. <laughs> See what I'm saying, right? And so, standing right behind me. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I, I'm in this conversation with him, like, man, this guy, woodworking, he's cool. Um, what can I do? Um, I can shoot a basketball well, right? Like, it came in handy this last week, but it's cool. And so uh, I was thinking about, okay, uh, he makes a lot of things with wood. And um, the thing that I do with wood is uh, I found this wood in the dumpster at our apartment complex, right? And it's like a nice piece of wood, right? Like, I wish I could take credit for this. But, um, but... This chair, for me, has, has represented something in, uh, in our new rhythm of life that Lauren and I have moved into. Uh, we just kind of moved into this new home in Klahani. Uh, we were living in this little uh, apartment, uh, pretty much someone's basement for the first nine months that we were here. We're so happy to have this new home. Um, but, but this chair, for me, has represented, it's just sat on our porch in our back, looking at the, the, the trees of Klahani and bears of Klahani, um, it's represented this idea that, um, that rest is something that God desires for us to encounter. Because for me, the, this chair is something that uh, at my home, I can go sit in this chair in the evenings or in the early mornings when Lauren's still snoozing, right? That, that I can sit there and experience rest. But the thing about a chair, right? Like, you're either sitting on that chair or you're not sitting on that chair, right? Like, Kids, like, okay, if you're sitting on a stool, you're either sitting on that stool or not sitting on a stool, right? Like, it doesn't work to, like, kind of sit on a chair, right? Like, you're either sitting in a chair, resting, or you're not. But the thing about our culture now is that even if we're sitting in a chair and resting, we're not. We're not, because it's so accessible. It's so accessible. And to me, there, there's things um, that we need to realize about even our rhythms of rest that we have right now, that, that God says there is a season and a time to rest, and there's a time to be working. And to be honest, and I, and I think that all of us know that, that, that those lines are so blurred for us now, even if you have a job that you're able to leave work at home, right? You're not. And even if you have a job uh, that, you, uh, that you don't leave work at home, it follows you around everywhere you go in your pocket, right? Literally, follows you around everywhere you go. And so there's part of this, this rhythm that God gives us that we need rest. But there's also this part of Sabbath um, that is so important that, uh, that we need desperately 
needs something else. And that word, I feel like, uh, this morning is resistance. Resistance. It's a key, key integral piece of what it means to Sabbath. And so, um, in, uh, in Exodus, we see that Sabbath as rest, that first passage that we, that we read, was rooted in the creation story, right? Everybody remember it said on six days, or in the, on six days you're, you're to work, and on the seventh you are to rest, right? And so um, in Deuteronomy, uh, there's kind of this new, um, this new way that God begins to talk about rest, begins to talk about Sabbath with the people of Israel. Check this out. And so um, I think we have like a, a little graph here, yeah, or a little chart. And so um, these are the two passages that um, Reagan and Kayla read this morning, which by the way, um, they're two of our leaders that are going to be going to Campbell Farm tomorrow, um, two of our high school leaders. Yeah, so they're awesome, uh, as, long, as well as Callista sitting right next to them and a few others. So um, they, uh, they were able to read this passage for us this morning. And we see that it's pretty similar, right? You see a lot of similarities between these two passages. Um, the way that it starts, kind of the middle part where it talks about, uh, but on the seventh day. But then look at this last piece. So in Exodus 20, verse 11, and then Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, there's a big difference, right? That first God was talking about Sabbath in the context of creation. Sabbath in the context of creation. Then God transitions to talking about Sabbath in the context of slavery in Egypt. Why in the world would God do that? Why would God go from talking about Sabbath in the context of creation? We get that, right? That makes sense. It's rooted in who we are as human beings in our, in our DNA. But this part of Deuteronomy 5, when it's talking about Sabbath in the context of slavery in Egypt. What is that? And so if you look at, um, if you look at the, the text, um, or if and you were to look at the context of where it is in Deuteronomy, right? It's uh, early on in Deuteronomy. And if you know the, the story of the people of Israel, right? Early on in the book of Deuteronomy, they're no longer in slavery, right? They're no longer in Egypt, but they're not yet in, uh, in the promised land, Right? So they're kind of in this middle ground, right? This really weird middle ground where they're not yet, or they're, they're, they've left Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land, right? And so uh, they were wandering around for 40 years, right? 40 years, they were wandering the desert, looking for what God's provision would look like, knowing that he would provide, but had no idea how that would come, right? And, and so... Um, and so God, at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, in this time of wandering, right, reminds the people of Israel of the Ten Commandments, right? So it's the second time that God, through Moses, has specifically given these commandments, right? They're already part of their community, but it's the second time that they come up in the context of the Old Testament. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And so th- this word resistance simply means this. It simply means remember your identity as the people of God. And, and through that, resisting that, right, because you were living amongst so many other people, right, is that you are called to remember 
the patterns that I, God, has mapped out for you and not the patterns of the world around you, the people around Israel. And I think that there's a lot that we can relate to in our current context where God is saying, remember the patterns that I've called you to live into and not the patterns that the culture is giving you. And so that happens in Deuteronomy. The, the thing is about um, the people of Israel is that later on in the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, God says a completely different narrative. He says, you know what? No, build your homes, dwell among the people, right? Have families, um, be present in that culture, and don't set yourself aside from that, right? When they were in exile, that was the message, right? And so there's, there's kind of this tricky narrative where God is saying, put yourself uh, aside, right? Set yourself aside in the book of Deuteronomy. But then later on in, in, uh, in the prophets, in Isaiah and Jeremiah, he's saying, no, you, you are called to be my people, to live among the nations, right? And, and so for me, I think that that's a tension that we have to uphold. But here in our text this morning, it's saying specifically, pace yourself with the pace that I have given you as your God who knows what's best for you and not the pace that our culture, that this world has told you to live. And and so for me, that word resistance um, is so important because Sabbath takes rest, but but Sabbath takes a whole lot of, of resistance too. Anybody with me there? Because if, if we are intentional, right? Sabbath doesn't just happen on its own. It's, it's not going to magically happen, right? Like, not, you're not in this culture. You're not going to just be, oh, like, I, I didn't realize that I was just resting the last 20 minutes, right? Like, we, we do that. Here's what we do. We do that sometimes by this. And then we wake up 20 minutes later. Oh, I think I just rested. But we didn't, Right? We did it. Uh, there's, a, there's a psychologist who has this, this quote. Um, where is it? Um, she says, um, man, now where am I? Where am I? Um, <laughs> anyways, no, that's a good one, but um, <laughs> that's another guy. She, the, the context of, of what she was saying um, is that when we're in our screens, we're just going to a place of numbing, right? Of numbing. That we're not actually resting. We're just going to a place where we don't have to think about things temporarily and we can just numb ourselves. One, so that we don't have to deal with the things that are actually in front of us. But two, thinking that there's a life better out there in some other regard. And so we just do this and think that it's rest. But it's not, right? It's not. It's really not. And so when... Uh, when I look at this, this idea of, um, of Sabbath as uh, resistance, I think that it starts in, um, really starts in one place. Um, so does anybody have their phone with them uh, up front? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, okay, cool, cool. Pastor Sharon, thank you. Okay. Um, on Deuteronomy. Look, okay, we already moved on. Okay. So um, can I close it? Is that okay? Okay. Um, so... Um, 
So Lauren and I, we, we met um, in, uh, in college, and um, the school that we went to, they had this lingo, it was called DTR, right? Has anybody ever heard of this, this lingo? Okay, my fellow APU, yeah, okay. So, Britta, what is this DTR that we talk about? Define the relationship, okay? Has anybody put two and two together? College campus, DTR, right? There's a lot of this going on. So DTR is simply this. You're interested in somebody. They're maybe interested in you. You kind of know it. They kind of know it, but you don't really know it, and they don't really know it, so you have a DTR, right? Okay, so you're defining the relationship. Is this going somewhere or not, right? Or not. And so, uh, so a DTR is, uh, is something that, that's pretty important, um, in any relationship. Um, I think we, I, need to have a little DTR with this, right? And, and this is an easy scapegoat. We need to have a DTR with a lot of different things that are cultivating different rhythms in our lives that are not what God intends. And with anything, with any relationship, right, there's so much good that comes from this, right? There's, there's no way that we would be where we are as human beings without this. It's incredible. But with any relationship, if there's not healthy boundaries, it becomes destructive. It becomes so destructive. It becomes numbing. It becomes an idol. Uh-oh. But it becomes a place where we don't actually experience the rest the rhythm that God intends for us, right? And so, so in this, okay, thanks, thanks, okay. I was going to like throw it across the room and like make this whole scene, but I didn't. Um, so so when, we, uh, when we look about this, look at, at this idea of uh, defining this relationship, um, I think it begins uh, with this, this phone. Um, here's the quote. It says, when we scroll, we seek places that don't require purpose, or accomplishment. It's pretty, it's pretty scary. Um, and so if we're looking at this idea of Sabbath, um, both in the context of rest and resistance, um, we have some work to do. We have some work to do. Um, and that's where I feel like this last word, um, Sabbath as rhythm, comes into play. And so... Um, there's a lot of different things um, in life where we can maybe talk about, we had this encounter with God, but um, there are very few times when we have like these bodily experiences or encounters with the living God, right? And so like baptism would be one of them, right? It's like a very tangible thing that, uh, that you could experience God's grace, right? Or communion, right? We talk about those as, as sacraments uh, in the covenant church, or at least in most evangelical churches, that those are ways that we can specifically encounter God's grace, right? Um, and so we're going to practice one of them today, and we're going to practice the other in two weeks um, as an example of uh, an, an expression of God's love extended to us that we can tangibly respond to ourselves. And so I do want to say this really quick. Um, we are going to celebrate baptism, and, and that's something that, that's so important to be able to celebrate as a community. And, and so if you're in this spot in your relationship with God right now, where you're feeling like, I need a new season in my relationship with God. I'm looking for, for something. And, and you haven't been baptized. Um, this would be an awesome time to say, you know what, moving into the fall, I want to take my relationship with Jesus more seriously. And maybe I want to be baptized. And, and that opportunity will be present uh, in just two weeks as a church community. Um, but the other one that we're going to go to just uh, in a few minutes uh, is this table, 
right, of, of juice and of the bread. And um, the opportunity to go to the table is something uh, that truly is such a gift um, because it, um, it gives us a, an opportunity to really pause and to reflect on this rhythm of Sabbath, of, of both rest and resistance. And so um, for us this morning, um, there's so many different things that we could talk about as in relation to Sabbath, um, but I just want to give two questions for us to begin to think about wherever you are in this, this conversation of Sabbath. Um, and these two questions are simply this. Uh, when will it be and how will it start? When will it be and how will it start? Um, for, uh, for the Hebrew people, Sabbath is very, very specific, right? If you've ever been to Israel um, and you've been there on a Thursday night, it's busy, bustling, there's so many noises, right? There's so much going on in the city of Jerusalem, wherever. But on Friday, night and day, completely different. So calm and so peaceful, right? Because it's, a, it's an entire culture that has embraced this practice of Sabbath, that realizes how good it is of this rhythm that God has for us. And so um, for, for the Hebrew people, um, it starts at sundown on Friday night. And for me, that changes, right? For us, that, that changes because um, we have families, because we have different work schedules and jobs, right? And so the, the point of this is that Sabbath doesn't have to be anything or shouldn't be anything that feels like bondage. It should be something that feels life-giving, feels life-giving because it's a rhythm that Jesus intends for us. And then the second question is, how will it start? For the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, Sabbath starts with everyone sitting in a circle and the parents having a jar of honey and each kid in the family gets a little spoonful of honey. Anybody else? Like, okay, that's cool. Right? As, as the beginning of Sabbath on Friday night, sundown, each kid takes a spoonful of honey. And the metaphor, the illustration there for the, the, the Jewish culture, for the Hebrew people, is that Sabbath is something that you welcome as the sweet taste of remembering how good it is to live into the rhythms that God has given us. It's pretty powerful that every single week these, these people, right, are practicing Sabbath. And it's welcomed on Friday night when, how, with honey. And so, um, before we do go to the table this morning, um, and we'll, we'll be uh, getting to, to, to take communion together, um, wanting to remember uh, this idea that, that Sabbath is something uh, that Jesus calls us to, not to be oppressive, but to be a gift. To be something that we can practice ourselves. And so um, there's really only one time that I feel like I've experienced that for myself, uh, living in this place. And that was in uh, this last February with Snowpocalypse 2019, right? Um, crazy, so awesome, six days of no school. Um, but, but that week, that week was unlike any other week I'd ever experienced, right? Um, I, in that week, I got, ha- I got to have um, lunch in the middle of the day, right, with a Microsoft employee, right, which those people just have crazy schedules in, in general, but, like, life just stopped, right, and we were able to sit down and have a two-hour meal at their home because life stopped, 
right? Um, Lauren and I actually had more than one night a week to be home and be together and have dinner. Like, that doesn't happen for us because of things that we've self-perpetuated, right? But Snowpocalypse 2019, it did happen, right? Um, I walked to my neighbor's house and played Catan. <laughs> I wish I could do that every week, but I, we don't, right? We just don't. Um, in, our, in our staff meetings, our team, it was probably one of the most productive vision casting weeks that we've ever had because we had space to reflect and to process what was going on. And so how about you this morning? Um, how will it start for you? And when will it be? Those are the two simple starting point questions of thinking about Sabbath. Because it just gives us this glimpse of a different time, a different pace of time, a glimpse of the rhythms of heaven. Jesus had, uh, had a lot to say about a lot of things, um, but Jesus had a lot to say about a lot of things specifically on the day of the Sabbath, right? So if you go back and read the New Testament, so many of the big, like, pivotal things that Jesus talks about happened on the Sabbath, right? The, the, the verse will start with, and on one Sabbath, or during one Sabbath, right? And then Jesus will heal, or Jesus will perform a miracle, right? Or Jesus will um, say something that's just really, really sharp towards the Pharisees, right? But there's this one phrase that comes out when Jesus is speaking, right? It says, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And for us this morning, I think translating that to to us, to our church community, that Jesus is Lord of the snowpocalypse, right? That Jesus desires for us to encounter that rest. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this gift of Sabbath that you've offered us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as, uh, as a community to enter into this gift. And God, as we reflect on our own lives and our own pace of life, may you be the one that's at the forefront of our Sabbath, of our rhythm of life. So God, as we turn our attention and turn our bodies to this table of receiving your gift of your blood and your body, God, may it just be a glimpse of the rhythms of the kingdom of God that you want us to encounter, just like Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to encounter a new rhythm. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.